I'm going to show you how great I am. This was our final tower. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Hello and welcome to How to Take Over the World. This is Ben Wilson. Welcome to this End Notes episode of Genghis Khan. And if this is your first time listening to an End Notes episode on How to Take Over the World, what it essentially is, is I take a lot of the notes that I had of stuff that I just found interesting and I smash it all into this episode at the end because maybe it didn't fit into the main narrative. It was just too much of a detour to make sense as I was going through the full story. So it's just a bunch of fun stuff that I found interesting and maybe some other narratives that are tangential or related to the main story, but didn't make their way in. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the Mongol invasion of Europe and what happened there, why I think it would make a terrific horror movie. That's this phenomenal story. I'll actually start with that. And then I'll talk about Genghis Khan and his red hair. You know, if he's a Mongol, where did this red hair come from? I'll talk about my, one of my favorite competitions of all time, this religious competition that the Mongols had between Buddhists, Muslims, and Christians, and who won when they put them in competition with one another, and lots of just interesting little tidbits about the Mongols. So I hope you'll like it. This is now a paid episode. So if you're hearing this on the main feed, you're only going to be getting the first 10 minutes. And if you want to listen to the full episode, you can just go to the link in the show notes and subscribe, and then you'll get the full episode. The premium tier that I just launched, $7 a month, and you'll get all the end notes episodes. You'll get all the mini episodes. I'll be doing periodic Ask Me Anything episodes. And if you subscribe, I promise you're going to be getting at least one episode per week. So if you want more How to Take Over the World in your life, go ahead and subscribe there. Again, it's only $7 a month. And I'm really working hard to make sure that it's worth it for those who pay and subscribe. So if that's of interest to you, go subscribe. Or don't. I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to beg for your money. I'm not going to throw away my dignity. Okay? Okay, with that, let's get into it. Starting with the Mongol invasion of Europe. So the Mongol invasion of Europe starts off as a sideshow. So essentially, Genghis Khan is invading Central Asia, the Khwarezm, and one of his generals says, hey, I'm hearing these rumors about these guys over in Russia. Can I take some troops and go kind of check it out? And so Genghis Khan says, sure. And so they go, they absolutely demolish the Russians for a year, and then they leave because that was not the main thing. So they come back and then Europe doesn't see the Mongols for years after that, actually for the rest of Genghis Khan's life. So for more than a decade. And then Ogadai is the next Khan after his father, Genghis Khan. And he's a good Khan in many ways, but one thing that he is is profligate. He spends way too much money. And so eventually he's starting to go broke. And so he says, okay, we need to invade some new lands. Where are we going to invade? Calls a big cruel tie. They vote on it. And one of the places they vote to invade is Europe. And so he sends out a big force this time to invade Europe and see what they can find. So they come in and the first people they attack are the Bulgars. And then they come up through Georgia and Armenia. They don't really have any trouble. And then they go into Russia itself, the Rus. So that's what is now Russia and Ukraine because they're coming from the south. And so they follow their pattern, the thing they do when they want to take cities. So the first thing they do is they go through and they are burning all these outlying villages, sending a bunch of people scattering and choking up the major cities. So the first city they go after is called Riazan. And so they burn so many little villages and towns on the way that A, Riazan is choked up with all these villagers and refugees. And then also the Mongols have swollen their numbers with tons and tons of slaves. And so when they get to Riazan, they decide to actually build a wall outside 
of the walled city. So now Riazan is double walled and the Mongols control the outer wall. <laughs> they, they say, you're walling us out of the city. Well, we're going to wall you in. So it's very effective because that, that way the Russians in Riazan can't break the siege, right? They can't go get resupplied. They can't do little sorties to go out and attack the siege engines. They're just stuck in there. And not only that, but it's very demoralizing to see this wall come up outside the city, defended by all these Mongols and realize, and we're trapped in here. We're never getting out. And so they build this wall. They bombard the city for a few days and then they invade it. And with one assault, they're able to quickly take it. They next go and do the same thing to more cities. Uh, this scenario basically plays itself out exactly in the city of Kiev. And um, actually in Riazan, they had executed all the knights and all the aristocrats when they took the city. And so in Kiev, all the aristocrats and knights flee before the Mongols are able to besiege the city. And so it's left to this one guy, Dmitri, to defend the city. And he takes charge of it and he defends it very bravely, so much so that when the Mongols do finally take Kiev, they allow Dmitri to live. They say, okay, you can stay and keep a prominent place in the city because we respect you so much for the way you defended this city. So Kiev also falls, and then they just run riot through Eastern Europe, through Russia and Ukraine, take, taking basically every city that they can find. One of the reasons that there's very little opposition is at first, you know, in Europe, there's all this conflict between these dukes and these princes. So there are many people in Russia who aren't necessarily upset to see some of these other cities get taken by the Mongols. They don't take them very seriously as a threat yet. And so they're just thinking, oh, this is awesome. These guys are taking out my rivals. But after they have taken basically all of Russia and Ukraine, the rest of Europe starts to wake up and say, wow, okay, these guys are a serious threat. They're not a tool that I can use to remove my rivals. You know, we really need to unite and we need to face these guys. And so Europe starts to stir and to start to get their forces together in order to come and meet this threat. And so the Mongols, after they're done, you know, taking over these Slavic territories in the East, they divide their army in two and they send a small diversionary force of, I think, 20, 25,000 people up to Poland. And then they send the rest of their men down to Hungary to attack there. And as I said, the people of Europe are now starting to unite. They're not quite ready yet. And so the Mongols pretty easily take some cities in Eastern Poland. But then Duke Henry II of Silesia, which is a territory around there, uh, is able to gather some forces and assembles an army of 30,000 elite troops, including knights from all over Germany, France, and Poland. So finally, you have the real soldiers, the elite troops of Europe coming to the rescue to defend themselves. And they meet the Mongol forces in Poland. And remember, this is just a diversionary force at a place called Lignitz in Poland. The two sides face off. The knights charge at the Mongols, and at first they're repulsed. And so they gather back up and they charge again. And as they charge again, the Mongols are terrified. They're defeated and they go running away. But you know what's really happening. It, it's a false retreat. And so the knights believe this. They've never faced Mongols before. And so they go chasing after them. And mile after mile, these knights in heavy armor are weighing down their horses. And their horses start to get more and more tired. And just as they're reaching the point of exhaustion, they start to notice a little bit of smoke. And then that smoke comes to fill the entire area. They can't see. They're starting to, to cough and choke and they don't know what's going on. And the Mongols had laid a trap. They're burning wood and gunpowder to create this thick black smoke to confuse and disorient and weaken the troops that were chasing them. And so 
now all these knights are spread out. They're not united. They're not in any sort of formation and they're disoriented. They're running in all sorts of different directions because of the smoke. And then the Mongols come riding through and they just slaughter them. 25,000 out of Duke Henry's 30,000 men are killed. And again, this isn't just an army of 30,000 men. This is some of the best soldiers in Europe. And not only the best soldiers, but you know the, the landowners, the people who are expected to run things. And so this is really devastating. And at the same time, this is happening, I guess shortly thereafter, almost the exact same thing is happening in Hungary. Um, there's a charge. The Mongols turn and flee and the Hungarians chase them. The Hungarian forces, which once again, not really Hungarian. I mean, they are Hungarian and Hungarian led, but this includes knights from all over Europe. And it's an even bigger army than the one in Poland. And this time, they're a little bit wise to what's going on. And when the Mongols turn around to attack them, they are able to form up and kind of form a formation and make a makeshift camp to defend themselves. And so once again, the Mongols turn to the use of smoke. So they're not able to break through this camp of Hungarians. And so they start firing in all, all these incendiary devices to create a bunch of smoke that is that is choking them, that is confusing them and disorienting them. And as the men try and break out of the camp and probe the, the Mongols, they find that the Mongols are everywhere, are in every single direction. And so imagine you're a knight in this camp. You're in this heavy armor. It's hot. It's heavy. All of a sudden, the smoke comes in. You can't see anything. You're disoriented. And this whole time, arrows are flying in from the Mongols. And slowly, 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 for the most part, with your thick armor, it's not getting through. But every now and then, you see someone else fall. And hour after hour, you have no chance to attack your enemy. And any time you ride out to face the enemy, you find that you're not with anyone else because of the disorientation, the disunity because of all this smoke. And anywhere you ride out, you find a horde of Mongols there waiting for you. And you come back into the smoky camp where you can't see anything. And hour after hour, as this happens, and more and more arrows come in, more and more people fall and die, you start to panic. And then you hear a rumor that there's a way out. We have found a place outside of camp where there are no Mongols. And in fact, it's in the direction of Budapest, which is the nearest big city. So, hey, we can make a run for it. Budapest is only a few days away. If we ride fast, we might be able to make it in a day or two. Hey, this has been. Thanks for listening to this End of Notes preview. If you want to listen to the full episode, go ahead and click the link in the show notes and subscribe. I really appreciate your support if you do so. Otherwise... Thanks for listening to How to Take Over the World.